The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people, for if a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. Now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting, and everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak to Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways, that I may know you, in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And I will take back my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to this time, and we sit under these words, and I recognize, Father, that as we do come here, that we come from all kinds of different places. Uh, some of us come in this room uh, filled with anticipation, uh, filled with expectation of the things that you will do in our lives, both this day and in the season to come. Others of us come here, uh, and we're in quite a different place. Uh, some of us come here, and uh, truth be told, we feel hopeless. We feel cynical. Uh, we are grieving. Uh, some of us even are here and in despair. And Lord, I recognize further that some of us come here, and we do believe in you. We do trust in you. We do look uh, for your work in our lives. Others of us are here, and it feels like any belief we have is, is hanging on 
uh, by a small thread. And others of us are here and, and we're actually in a place where we don't believe in you. We don't believe that you're real. We don't believe that these words are true. I pray whatever place we find ourselves in today, whether we are here uh, in expectation or in cynicism, whether we are here uh, in belief or in doubt, pray, O oh God, that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we all come ultimately the same. We've all come here and we all live our lives with an overwhelming need to hear from you, to know you, and to be changed by you. Would you open our eyes and show us how you are at work in the person of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and uh, great to have all you kids with us. Uh, the first thing I want to do, kids, is I want you to, uh, this is going to be, you know, kind of the biggest drawing, is I want you to draw your dream house. You know, some of your moms have a dream house, right? I want you to draw a dream house. What would it have? I, I put in your instructions here a big mansion with pools and lots of rooms and beautiful paintings, but maybe for you it's a condo in Soho. Whatever, whatever your dream mansion is, go ahead and is it, is, do you dream of a condo in Soho? No. Been there? Yeah. Um, maybe for you, it's a, it's a nice house in Lancaster. <laughs> Whatever your dream mansion is, go ahead and uh, draw that uh, to the best of your ability. Go all out. Spare no expense. And uh, we, will, we will look forward to that. So what's going on here is we are actually uh, beginning to wrap up our sermon series that we're calling Friend of Sinners. And uh, the, the heart behind this series is an observation that I've been making uh, really throughout the last year, which is that friendship is on the decline, right? That friendship in, in our culture in general, and then I've seen even challenges in our own church where friendship is on the decline. And I've been talking in my recent sermons about how there is an increase of loneliness, right? That in our world in general, that loneliness is on the rise. People are having fewer and fewer friends, uh, that friendships are difficult, uh, and I've been locating the primary difficulty in friendship centered in the reality that uh, if you choose to participate in this idea of friendship, that you will be doing so in the context of the sins of your friend, your, your own sins and the sins of your friend. And the passage that we're at today is going to be a different angle on this because you see, the passage that we're, about to, that we're looking at today concerns the friendship that we can have with God himself. And this gets perhaps at the, the biggest reason that you might consider taking the risk of entering into friendship with another human being, particularly one who happens to be a sinner, right? Some of you, you know, some of you are sold on the idea of loneliness, right? Some of you have, have been lonely and you've experienced that and the vision of saying, I want to walk with others who will challenge me, but who will also accept me as who I am, my sins, my flaws, my issues. Some of you are captivated by that vision, right? And so you, you're desiring that. But there's actually a greater reason for you to take risks of friendship than simply all of those benefits that I've been sharing, right? There's actually a reason that you might consider taking the risks of friendship that extend beyond, uh, for example, not walking alone, not walking in loneliness, as, as precious as those uh, realities are, there's actually a reason that I think supersedes all of that. And that ultimately is the reason that you and I were created for friendship, right? That's, the Bible tell, tells us that we're created for community. Where do we see that? We see that in Genesis chapter 2. He said, it is not good that man be alone. God does not want you to walk alone. 
What it, instead, he desires you to walk in friendship, right? Uh, many of you or most of you, he desires to walk in marriage, which is a special kind of friendship, right, with a covenant involved. Uh, and the reason for that, theologically, you know, I paid somewhere around $60,000 to go to seminary, and so I did learn at least one thing. Good investment? No, it was a great investment. But I did learn, theologically, that the reason we're created for friendship is because we're actually created for friendship with God. So there's a word, kids. I wonder if any of you kids are, you know, educated enough to know this word. Does anyone know the word analogy? No, none of you are, none of you are, are at that level. Does anyone know the word analogy? Any kids? Okay. All right. Um, parents, y'all have some, wait, there's a kid? Analogy? No? All right, parents, we will be holding a remediation educational meeting following the service on the 15th. Now, and the word analogy means we compare things. We compare one thing to another thing, right? We say, this is like that, right? It's an analogy. And what, this, uh, what the scripture does for us is it says, friendship with others is an analogy to what it looks like to walk in communion with God himself, right? So the scripture's interest and my interest uh, in your lives beyond uh, your friendship with one another, is to see your friendship with God himself deepened, right? So friendships with others in the church is meant to serve as an analogy uh, as friendship with God. And we're going to see that come out in this passage uh, in some ways that I have found helpful and I hope that you do as well. So let me give you the context as to what's going on as we begin to walk through this passage trying to draw this out. The context of the passage is that God is bringing his people into a land of unthinkable blessing, okay? God is bringing his people into a land of profound blessing. That's this analogy that you and I probably have a hard time understanding, a land flowing with milk and honey, right? I wonder how many kids chose to put milk and honey in their mansion. Anyone? Right? You might put milk. <laughs> a couple of you might, might have done that, right? You put milk and honey? Very, very well. Good job. That makes up for the analogy issue. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, God is bringing his people into a land of profound blessing. That's the heart behind this uh, language here of flowing with milk and honey. The idea is that the land is not scarce, that you don't have to worry about your food. You don't have to worry about having incredible provision because this land is going to be of the most abundant. Uh, and this promise started all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 when God appeared to a man named Abram. And God appears to this man and he declares to him, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you descendants and I'm going to bring you in to this really good land. So that is what God is doing. That is what uh, we are here for. But there is a problem, right? There is a problem with, with God doing this. Right? What's the problem? The problem is in this language of what he calls having a stiff neck. Now, this is something that I think adults can relate to. Have, have any of you adults ever had a stiff neck? Right? I have a chiropractor that I'm on a special referral plan to. That I, no, I'm just kidding. All right, but yeah, as you get older, kids, kids probably haven't experienced this a lot, but as you get older, sometimes you wake up with a stiff neck where your neck doesn't want to turn. It's really painful. What's happening in this passage is that 
what God is saying is he's saying there is a problem with you going to the land because you don't want to follow me. That's this uh, idea of a stiff neck. In fact, kids, you can move on to the second picture. Draw a picture of a person who cannot turn their head. What would they see? What would their face look like, right? Yeah, and the idea behind this is, is what God is saying is he's saying, here's a problem with you and I coexisting together. And this, by the way, is a problem in friendship if you haven't experienced this yet. God is leading his people into a land of profound blessing, right? Blessing beyond anything that they can possibly appreciate or imagine. But the problem is, is that they don't want to follow him. That's the idea. God is saying, we got to go over here. And they're saying, they can't turn their head to even follow him. They're just saying, uh, go over there. No, I don't think so. He's saying, look, I'm going to bring you new land. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you good things. I'm going to shower you with blessing. And they're saying, no, they have a stiff neck, right? And what God is saying is he's saying, there's a problem with you and I walking together because you will not listen to me. And by the way, I wonder if you've experienced this in a friendship before, right? If, you're, if you have a person in your life that will never listen to you, right? Chances are high that friendship is not going to go very far, is it? Right? I mean, I've, I've had people like that in my life, right? And, and it's very difficult, right? If you, if you connect with someone and you just cannot get through on anything whatsoever, chances are high the friendship is not going to be one that you'll write home and tell your parents about in a good way. You might write home to them in a different, not a good way, but you won't write home to them and tell them about it in a good way. And what God is saying in this first paragraph of our passage here is he's saying, there's a problem and that I am trying to bless you and you will not even turn your head towards me, right? There's a fundamental problem and that you have a stiff neck. And here's actually what one of the points that I want to just uh, focus on here uh, the most. What's really interesting is, uh, look with me if you would in verse 5. What God says in verse 5 is, he says, uh, Say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people, for if a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Now, in another translation, it says, I will decide what to do with you. Now, here's, here's the point that I want you to really appreciate is, you know, some of you here, are, most of you here are Presbyterians, which we appreciate being a Presbyterian church. Uh, some of you aren't, and that's, we appreciate that too. What God is saying is he's saying, I've not yet decided what to do with you, right? He's not yet decided. He's saying, take this off, and I will decide what to do with you. I will decide what I'm going to do because we have a problem here. You're stiff-necked, and I'm holy, and this is not working. And what's interesting about this is, and what challenges me, and I hope, I hope it challenges you as well, is what is God waiting for? What is he waiting for to make his decision about what to do with these people, right? I mean, this is, a, this is a theological problem, right? Because God is unchanging, right? He makes his decisions before the foundation of the world. Everything that comes to pass, Westminster Confession chapter 3 says, has been foreordained in his sovereign will. And yet there's times in scriptures where he seems to say, look, we, we're going to have to see. We're going to have to see what I'm going to do. What is he waiting on? What is God waiting on to make this decision about the stiff-necked people? Anyone know? He is going to talk to his friend. 
Do you see that there? What is, what is God waiting on? Answer, according to the passage, he's waiting on his meeting with Moses, whom he calls, who he describes as a friend. Right? Think about that. Allow the weight of that to sink in on you. Here is a holy and righteous God who does not need to be advised by you or me or even Moses, and yet he puts off this decision until he can talk to his friend. Right? This, is, this is a theological challenge for me. I hope that it is for you as well. And this is a great paradox in Scripture. Right? This is a great paradox in Scripture in that God is presented as being unchanging. He's pre- presented as making his decisions from the foundation of the world. Yet, and this is, a, this is a key point here, yet it would seem that God appears to be moved by certain prayers. Okay? He appears to be moved by certain prayers. And there's some philosophical challenges with this that I'll, I'll try to address here in a moment. But that is the point of this passage, right? Here, God is saying, look, I'm not going to go with you. But then he has a conversation with Moses as a friend, and he, he changes his mind to a degree, right? In, in a philosophical way that doesn't harm God's sovereignty, that doesn't harm his character. There is a sense in which he appears to be moved by prayer. And this actually isn't the only time this happens, right? For example, in the conversation that God will have with Abraham about what's going to happen to Sodom, God appears to be moved by the requests and the pleas of Abram. So what is going on with this here? What is going on with this? Well, I think that the point of this passage is, is actually very simple, right? God desires the bold prayers of his people, right? That, that's the point. There's a lot of philosophical difficulty that I can point you to Jonathan Edwards. I can point you to Augustine, you know, Aurelius Augustine. I can point you to some of the greatest Christian thinkers of all time. I can point you to John Calvin who wrestled over this. And we can look at the philosophy behind it. We can look at how this works philosophically. We can look at the paradox that is, that is very paradoxical and that God is unchanging. I don't want you to hear anything different from me. But yet the scripture wants you to pray believing that what you pray is effectual. That's the word it will use in the book of James, right? That the prayers of a righteous man, he will say, that they matter, that they have an effect, that they're powerful. That's the point. That is the simple point of this passage, is that certain prayers have effect. And that's what's, that's what's going on as Moses uh, brings his prayers before the people, or before the Lord, excuse me, Right, that God is uh, intent on not going with him, but then Moses makes appeal to him, and, he, and you, know, you can look at all that he says there. He says, you know, how will people know that we are blessed by you if you don't go with us? Don't send me up unless your presence will go with us. Uh, and God grants him his request, right? that God grants him his request. And I would say to you that, you know, what's going on here? Well, what's going on is that you're, you're looking at, to a degree, the relationship of friendship, right? You know, that a friend is able to appeal to another friend in, in often extraordinary ways. And what God is saying to you is he's saying, I want you to pray to me boldly, right? And, and friends, I just want to tell you that this is, this is perhaps one of the greatest challenges 
And the, if you want to know, if you want to ask the question, you know, I don't really know what to confess. I don't know where unbelief is showing up in my life. I'll tell you where it most often shows up in my life. It shows up when I enter a spiritual depression and I stop praying boldly. If you've ever had a season, if you're in a season right now, if you haven't prayed boldly for something, and I, don't leave off that end word. Don't be like, Lord, just keep our kids safe and, you know, help provide for us. But if you haven't made specific bold requests of God recently, then you're not, then this, this idea of this passage is something that's very inconsistent with your experience. Because God has called us, he has created, we'll see this at the end of the passage, he has called us into a relationship with himself that involves praying boldly. And friends, I'll tell you that in my own experience, when I stop praying that way, when I go through the motions Right, what's an easy prayer request? Would you know, thank you for this food, right? Help the church to, you know, be happy, right? General stuff. Um, when I get into that mode, when I don't when I don't go before God and say, Oh God, on the basis of your promises, I plead with you to act in a way that will shock us all, right? Which I have been praying that recently. This is not a season of my life. That I'm, that, I, that I'm in this kind of depression. I am praying boldly right now. There are things on my prayer docket where I have prayed more boldly in the last uh, season than I have prayed in a long time, right? So this is a bringing, bringing you this teaching in a season where this is a reality in my life. Not always the case, but it is at the moment, right? That God is calling us to pray boldly, and the point of this passage is that it matters, is that it's effectual, right? It seems to a degree in some mysterious way that though he is unchanging, though his will is set from the foundations of the world, that yet he is moved by the prayers of his friends, right? This, uh, this uh, language of friendship, by the way, is so extraordinary. It doesn't happen that often in the Old Testament, right? Abraham is called a friend of God. Moses is described here as a friend Right? It's, not the, it's not the predominant language. It's meant to be extraordinary. But what we're going to see here is that what God is do doing in Jesus Christ is he is purchasing the ability for every single one of you to have this kind of extraordinary relationship with himself. That's, that's what he's doing. So kids, um, let me ask you in a, for the next drawing to draw yourself having a serious conversation with your best friend. What would that look like? Uh, if you were having a serious conversation with your best friend. So this is what happens. God's saying, I'm not going to go with you, but I'm going to wait and decide. He has this conversation with Moses, right, that is described as a man speaking to his friend face-to-face, -face, speaking face-to-face -face as a man speaks to his friend. And then he grants Moses his request. He says, you know what? I will go with you, right? I will do the thing that you're asking. Now, how how does that really work theologically, right? I made this major investment in seminary, and you, you're not going to be content to walk out of here not really knowing how this is working. What is going on philosophically? What is going on theologically? How is this happening? And this is, of course, I think the last point, is that Moses, and, you know, and there's some interesting contradictions in this passage. You probably saw them, right? Moses is describing, is being described as speaking to God in what language? Face to face. And then, in the last paragraph, what does it say? No one may see my face. Well, 
what in the world, guys? <laughs> what in the world is going on here? Is it face-to-face -face or is it face-to-back? What, what in the world is going on here? How are we to understand this? Well, uh, I think what's happening is that from the perspective of Israel, that Moses would have a kind of access to God that was absolutely extraordinary. In fact, the passage really points this up, right? That when other people would go to the tent of meeting to pray, no one really paid much attention. But when Moses would go in and pray and the cloud would descend and he would have this kind of unfettered access, that everyone would stand at attention at their tent and they would wait to see what was going to happen. And I think that what's going on here is that, of course, the passage is, is telling us that the closeness that, that Moses had to God, it, it was really an analogy, right? That he wasn't actually seeing the face of God in, in the way that uh, he wanted to uh, at the end of the passage where God says, no, you can't see my face and live. But what's going on there? And how is it that God is able to do what Moses says, even though the people of Israel are stiff-necked? This is the challenge of the passage, right? Moses' prayer has not, Moses has not given a chiropractic adjustment to the people of Israel, okay? They are still stiff-necked, just like you, right? Who's stiff-necked here, right? Right? They are just like you. They are still, just like you are having a hard time turning your head to the will of God, they are having a hard time doing it. Nothing has changed in that reality as a result of Moses' prayer. They are still stiff-necked. The Old Testament will bear this out in an overwhelming way. So what changes that God is able to go with Israel and grant Moses' request? What is it that changes that God... Uh, is now able to do this and not consume the people. And of course, what is going on at the end of this passage and the answer to Moses' prayer is seen in the person of Jesus Christ. Right? You see, Jesus Christ comes into the world to stiff-necked people like you and I, and he says, I will absorb the penalty of your profound unwillingness to turn to God that I will live a perfect life, that I will die a righteous, an unrighteous death so that you can be absolutely pure and righteous. And this is what the New Testament says. Uh, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. It says, this is Paul speaking, he says, since we have a hope, we are very bold. What, Mo what Paul is saying is that we live in the kind of boldness that Moses had. Every single one of you that knows Christ, every single one of you is able to have the extraordinary access that Moses had. Why? He says, well, we are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, right? And then he goes on to say, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, here's the key statement, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And he will go on to say that we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Right? The answer to Moses' prayer, the answer of this prayer, go with us even though we're stiff-necked, is God saying, I will when I send my son to walk in your shoes, to absorb your sins, to drink deeply of your brokenness, to purchase for you comprehensive and unequivocal pardon of everything you've ever done wrong. When that happens, we can be close as friends. You can be very bold because you'll be praying through Jesus Christ. 
Now, friends, here's the question whether you actually believe this this morning, right? Some of you are here and you're like, I totally don't believe that. I don't even know why I'm in church, you know, right? I don't know what's going on. I'm not sure what all I think about this. Some of you are here and you're, and you're in that space of, of testing these claims and I want you to feel welcome. I want to engage with you over that. Others of you are here and you've been Christians like me a long time and you're wondering, do I really believe this or not? How do you know? Answer, you will show up in the way you pray. Are you going to just go through the motions? Thank you for this food. Keep us safe. Or are you going to begin to ask bold things of God? Right? I can't tell you how often I talk to folks and there is a profound guilt over the lack of prayer where folks are saying, I just feel guilty because I don't pray. And I, every time someone says this, I say the same thing. I say, do you want to feel guilty or do you want to feel like you're just missing out? Like, I'm not, I'm not here upset that you're failing. I'm up here upset that you are missing out on God's profound power and blessing. Aren't you upset about that? And I would ask you the question, aren't you upset? Can you just consider the fact that you might be living in a state where you are not experiencing God's power and blessing over the things that matter the most to you, the things that you worry about, the things that consume your time and attention and resources, if you're not bringing those to God boldly, can you consider that maybe I am missing out on the richest and deepest and most powerful blessings because I am walking in unbelief? And the word of Christ to you this morning is that God has purchased for us profound access where we can come boldly to him, where we can pray prayers like Moses, where God had said to Israel, I will not go with you. And Moses says, I'm going to ask anyway. I'm going to ask that you would. And, and in the, scriptures, the scriptures plea for you in the book of James, in, in the story of Moses, in the story of Abraham, it is ask. Ask that you may receive, our Lord Jesus says, that your joy would be full. And so, friends, my hope for us this morning is that God would transform the relationship that he has with you, that he would meet you in your unbelief, he would meet you where that unbelief is showing up here this morning, and he would awaken in you a thirst and a hunger for prayer and a renewed listening to him in the scriptures. So, kids, what I want you to do for our last drawing is I want you to draw a picture of yourself praying reading the Bible, and thinking deeply over what God says. This is where it's going, right? That God is calling us to have a relationship with him that is described in this way. And I would ask you, is your relationship like God? Would it be at all accurate? Would, it, would, it be, would, I be, would I have any integrity of describing your relationship with God in ways similar to this passage? That you have this kind of access, that you practice this kind of access. If you don't, if you're in a depression you're in a spiritual depression, could I invite you, could I invite you to walk away from that this morning? Could I invite you to take steps of beginning to pray boldly? And by the way, it's really easy. It's really easy to pray boldly. You know what you do? This is the very, this is very, people don't know, right? This is how you begin to pray boldly. I want you to think of this. What is it in your life that you are most dissatisfied with, right? That's very simple. Just think about situation in your life, your family, your work, your friendships, 
Think about what is it that I am most upset about, I am most dissatisfied about, I think about the most when I have idle time. Think about that issue and turn that into bold prayers today. Do it even during communion. Say, God, I want to repent of living in unbelief, and I want to begin to pray to you boldly. Right? You might pray for something for, for 12 months. You might pray for something for 72 months. It might be even longer. But God calls us to walk with him in faith, not willing to let go. To, to walk with him, speaking to him as a man speaks to his friend. And through Jesus Christ, he has purchased the access for us to have. So let me pray for us at this time. Father God, we praise you. Holy Spirit, we adore you. And I pray that you would bring about in us an absolute renewal of this kind of prayer. I pray that perhaps we would discover you and who you are in your holiness and your power, uh, perhaps for the first time. I pray, O oh God, that you would awaken this spirit in us and that you would uh, work miracles among us, that you would show us answers, show these, these uh, beloved folks answers to their prayers this day, I pray, because we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen.